Well, we've been in a series, and God's timing is so perfect. Um, his timing is just so perfect. As, as I began to prepare for today, um, this message took shape several times and then scrapped and took shape again several times. But I knew what God wanted us to preach about. And it's a little difficult when you have a very short title or subject and you know that that's what it's got to be about, but God's going to form it around that. And as I mentioned in this series, there's five sermons in a series. We're on part um, four today. And each one came from various different other ministers where I've taken and, and either chopped up their sermons or used a majority of it. And so I want to give credit. Today is another uh, part of Stephen Furtick, um, uh, his message with Elevation Church. And his title's different, uh, but... Much of this material uh, I felt led to use from his sermon. Um, but we're going to talk about love. And I actually wore kind of a pink color just to go along with the sensitive topic today. So I hope you noticed because I don't normally wear this color. But uh, trying to fit with the sensitive topic here of love. But the title of the message is Be Loved. Be Loved. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, 7-12, through 12, I don't often use the NIV. Um, you'll notice maybe a little bit of wording difference because I will use the NIV for that passage and maybe a few others today. I usually use the ESV or the NLT, um, but today I'll be using the NIV. But this is a really great passage on the subject of love. And, you know, when we look at the series, what we started out with, the first one is uh, the plan. Everything started with a P. The first one was a plan that God never begins anything without the end in mind. His plans are perfect. That, that even in the, most wor- in the worst tragedy, the worst situation, that if we could see through God's eyes and, and have his knowledge of the situation, the, the entirety with eternity in mind, that it happened for the best with the believer. For the believer, that God's plans are always perfect, always complete. And, and then we, we looked at his provision. And remember, we played off the words that there's two parts of that, pro and vision. That God has a vision for your life. And if you are for that vision, you're pro that vision, that many times those things we pray for, God, give me that job. Lord, give me that spouse. Lord, rescue me. Lord, heal me. Heal my relative. Whatever it is that many times when we look around, he's given us everything we need right around us. And that really his provision, his provision for us, is really a lot about our perspective, our vision of the situation. Then third, we looked at the period, that he is the author and finisher of our faith, that he puts the period at the end of your sins, that when you live a life for Christ, he has your life planned out, and the finish is already determined as long as you will strive and go that direction. We're not talking about predestination where you can just kind of lackadaisical say, okay, I'll just float through life, then God's going to make me go on autopilot. No, it is hard work. There's trials, there's struggles, but he already knows how you'll finish. And then today we're looking at people. The third P was people. That every time God is speaking his word, is it about his plan for his people? It's not about his things. It's not about the physical things, about the church buildings or the properties or uh, the ownership of gold and all those things that we read about in in the Old Testament that that was precious, but, but about people. And so 1 John 4, 7 through 12, this really great passage on the subject of love, which I think we can all agree is the foundation of our faith. That we know the Bible teaches us that love is the foundation of our faith. This idea that God's love and our love coming together in a way that is shown in this passage, and I want to show it to you, how it comes together. 
So just a short, simple message, maybe not short, you know how I say that, and, and I'll go the full distance, but, but this scripture, I want to read it to you, 1 John 4, 7-12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now let me stop right here for a minute because when we read scripture and you get in the mindset of I'm going to church and this is about reading God's word which I don't really understand and trying to apply it to my life which doesn't seem to really happen. Each one of you are impacted by this because love impacts your life daily or the lack thereof. So this is real time for you for your life, when you leave here today, in fact, before you leave here today, if you will commit to receiving something from God today, you're going to leave here different. You're going to leave here with a different mindset. You're going to leave here with something, a tool God has given you to walk a life dedicated to Him and do it successfully. And then verse 9, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son and an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's a good scripture. You, you really don't have to say much about it after that, but we're going to. But you really wouldn't have to because it really says it all. Uh, but... But it's so deep, there's so much to it. It's just plain how he puts it. It's not the, theoretical, it's not abstract. And I want to speak about one of the components of God's love today that will hopefully be really clear to you as we talk about it. And I want to talk about God's love from this perspective, that it works both ways. Now right now that doesn't make sense to you here in a minute and will, but I want you to say, it works both ways. It works both ways. That's how God's love works. It works both ways. That's how a good sermon works. The, the fact that you just responded. You know, I'm preaching God's word, and when you respond, it, it validates to me that you're receiving what God's saying, and so it goes both ways. A good worship service is not about the style of music, you know, even though that we tend to go there, or whether we liked the song or that. It's really about going both ways the worship leader is entering into worship wholeheartedly truly worshiping god themselves and becoming the lead worshiper and you're responding by worshiping god as well and it goes both ways so it's not just people up here on the stage either singing or preaching to you it goes both ways a good relationship has got to go both ways i know i have friends that we will lose touch with each other from uh, for a long period of time and invariably one of us will take the step and make the phone call to touch base and invariably the one that didn't make the phone call will say um, I'm sorry I really dropped the ball I'm not a good friend that I I didn't reach out to you first and the truth is it goes both ways that neither person reached out first one picked up the call that day but both of them had the amount of time that went by that no one called it goes both ways. It's not just one person's responsibility to make the call. It's both. So now, a weird thing. If you have ever been in a relationship that's non-reciprocal, let me ask you, have you, and you raise your hand, have you ever been in a relationship that's not reciprocal? Do I need to explain what reciprocal is? Because everyone's hand should probably shot up, and especially parents. 
Parents, you should have been like involuntarily. Your hand should have just went like that. Like, what, what's my hand doing? Because you have definitely, if you have had children, you've been in a relationship that is non-reciprocal at times. Someone said, don't worry about all the sacrifices you make raising your kids because they will give back so much more than they take. That's a lie. If you're pregnant, Chelsea, I missed something, but I'm sure it was good. It was the best response I've got all year. So, um, it, you know, Chelsea or if anybody else is uh, planning on having children, um, if someone tries to tell you that, they're lying to you. I mean, they take way more than they give back. It's like dating relationships in the early years. You know, when you're the pre-teens, the 14, 15, you think you're finally old enough to start dating. And I remember teenage girls in junior high, you know, the 14, 15, 16. They, they would take it so seriously. You know, this is, they're starting out dating, but, you know, they wanted the guy to start doing things that they like. Like, you should want to go to the mall and shop with me. You should want to watch the chick movies with me. And they're already trying to plan for the future. And you should want to go by and look at those wedding dress shops. And all the parents are going, I hope not. Right? You know? And, and, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about those relationships. What they don't realize, those young girls, is either you're having to try to get him interested in long term. If you're having to do that, you're either rushing the relationship way too early or you haven't figured out that he isn't interested and you can't make him be interested. Relationships need to be reciprocal and you can't force someone to be interested. Yet in any given relationship, there's typically one initiator. And I just believe that, and it could be that I'm old school, but I believe if it's a romantic relationship, that the man, if he wants to be a real man, should be the initiator. I, I don't know. I don't want to step on toes if you've got a different story here and I, I'm, I'm exactly describing your story. But I'll just be honest. If I hear about some uh, lady proposing to a man, it makes me go, ugh. I don't know, there's a thing inside. I don't really do it with my face, but I feel it inside. Like, ugh. Like, what, what happened there? You know? Um, okay, so I better go on because I might offend somebody. But, but I just believe that when it comes to rela- romantic relationships, to love, uh, or even to service, uh, that it should be the man that initiates. I don't always do that, but I believe that. I mean, there's a difference. I, I don't always do what I believe I should do. But I'm using it as whether you're talking about how the earth works or how a relationship works, it works both ways. Or it doesn't work at all. I, I can tell you from someone who dated way more than I should have. And I didn't get married till I was 30. And I wish I had just cut out a bunch of that because I didn't need it. God had the perfect person for me if I had been patient. But I've been in plenty of relationships where it's one-sided. And it hurts. Your heart aches because you just want that person to love you back the same way, and they won't. Or if you're on the other side, and that person who keeps trying to get you to love them that way, and it's just annoying, and you don't want to hurt them, but you don't know what else to do. If you're always the one doing, and you're never getting anything back, not even a thank you, it just doesn't work at all. And we see John in this text, he's painting a picture that I don't think on the surface Uh, It's very lopsided. It's not a picture of reciprocal relationship at all. I mean, it's this relationship between us and God that is anything but reciprocal. Yeah, because he says this is love, not that we love God, but that he just flat loved us. And it's appropriate that John would say these words. You want to know why? 
of all the disciples Jesus had that could have written these words to explain to us about God's love and our love, John was a perfect candidate. And there's a very specific reason, and, and you want to know what the reason is? It, it has to do with the name John gave himself. John gave himself a nickname. I mean, he's the writer, right? And he gave himself a nickname. Now, I just recently left the Bond Slaves Motorcycle Club ministry, and one thing I liked about that when I joined is I had been around other Christian motorcycle clubs or ministries, and guys would pick their own nickname, and I thought it was lame because they always end up being Bear or Blade or, you know, Big Whatever, you know, Big Guy. I mean, when you pick your name, it's got to sound tough, right? And I was like, that's baloney. When I got in the Bond Slaves, there was a spaz, there was a skid mark, there was a, there was, um, I mean, there was all kinds of crazy names because you didn't pick your name. You earned it. I guess you'd say you earned it. If you did something stupid, you earned your name. And, and it, it was significant because it really spoke to something that bonded you with the group. You know, mine was Switch. And the reason was because I worked at Walmart corporate office and I'd be dressed up and we'd be going on these trips and stuff and they'd have to meet me after work. And I'd come out for a minute and say, hold on, I'm about to finish up meeting. And I'd be dressed up and I'd come back out. And they said it was like Superman. I'd come out and then I had leathers on and everything and, and do-rag. And I looked different. And so they, uh, they said, you. And then I'd shave my head and I'd grow my hair long. I'd grow a beard. I'd shave it. And they said, you switch identity so often. We're calling you a switch. So you earned it. But John was bold enough to give himself a nickname. He called himself something very interesting. Now, if you've never seen this before, paid attention to it, it's going to kind of make you think that John was full of himself. But I'm going to show you why I think he felt this way about himself. So in John chapter 19, verse 25, it says that after the crowds had scattered from the cross because they realized Jesus wasn't going to keep feeding them fish and chips anymore. That happens a lot. Once people realize that the gravy trains run out in following Jesus, they scatter. Well, Jesus isn't my genie in the bottle anymore. I'm out of here. But he was ultimately marching towards a destination of sacrifice, and there was this little group, the usual suspects, that says in John 19.25 in the NIV, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Makes sense that his mom would be there. This is a horrible thing. Having her son, she's not going to leave him alone. And then his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so it's women standing there, right? Let's hear it for the women. Woo! I mean, don't you think women are sometimes better at at least expressing their love or they're better at love than men sometimes? They're, they're better at that. I know it's a stereotype, but, but most times women are better at that. But then in the, in the Gospel of John, which was written by who? John, right? Same guy that wrote the passage I read from in the beginning, first, what? John, right? He says he was there, but he doesn't say his real name. Instead of his name, he says that there was all these people, and Jesus looked at them, and he said, and the disciple, the disciple whom he what? Loved. The disciple whom he loved. Now, I've known people with multiple children like I have who are pretty brazen and bold, and I've known ones who at different various times of their kids' lives would pull one child aside one at a time and do it with all of them and say, you're my favorite. You're the one I really love, right? But they'd say it to all of them and, and kind of tongue-in-cheek and a joke, but, but it kind of makes me wonder if Jesus wasn't pulling the disciples aside sometimes because I don't believe that he only loved John, but he's pulling aside and says, you know, you know you're the one I love, right? You're, you're the one I love, you know? 
and, and I don't think that it was necessarily that, that John was so much different. I think he was just the only one that really believed it to that level. He said, I'll just nickname myself the one they love because he's always telling me. I don't know if that's the case. I just kind of wonder if, if, if he did that. And when he speaks about himself, he calls himself, in fact, if you want the technical term, he calls himself John the Beloved. John the Beloved. So it's interesting when you read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, if you read it in the New, uh, New King James Version, he starts, to, uh, he starts telling the church how they are to love, and he uses a word, he says, Beloved. Um, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved. He, he's speaking to the church. He's calling them according to how he sees himself, according to how Jesus sees him, and how he believes Jesus sees the church as the beloved. And, and this is how life is. How, how life is. It, I, I want to show you, um, Nathan, if you could bring the whiteboard up here. It, it's interesting how, how life really works because when we meet people who we want them to know God and want them to become a believer, I think often we think that we need to start with pointing them to, um, you know, like, be holy. You know, you got to stop being unlike God. you got to be holy. You can't, you can't be walking around, you know, showing your real self. you got to be holy like God. Or, or maybe you need to be righteous. Maybe you need to, to do that. You need to, to be uh, like the righteousness of God. You know, because Scripture says, and so we tell them all this, you need to be this or you need to be that, and that's why you need to accept God. But I wonder if it's not really that God, through this passage, is trying to tell us, and through John, the beloved, and through John using the beloved to say, maybe first, the best commandment, the best thing we should do is be loved. Be loved. So he writes to the church, he calls them, he calls them the beloved. So maybe his first commandment is not be holy, be better, be righteous, you know, be more like me, be like the other Christians. Don't, don't be like, don't be like uh, that church, be like this church. Uh, don't be like the Baptist, be like the Assemblies of God. Don't be like the Assemblies of God, be like the Methodist. Don't be like the Methodist, be like the Catholic. You know, it goes on and on. Why don't you be this, be that? So turn to, your, turn to someone around you and just say, be loved. Be loved. See, some of us are very, very poor at receiving love. So it's no wonder that when we're called upon to give love, that we fail. Because the very fact of it is, we haven't learned how to be loved, so we really don't know how to give out love. And when I want to explain this principle to you that it applies to love, it applies to money, it applies to skills, you can't get what you've never got. You can't give what you've never got. I mean, just try it. Try it with your ATM card. Just take your ATM card and, and take it to the ATM machine and try to get out what you haven't got. Right? Just try it. That principle works in so many ways. Now, let's try this right now. I need $132 right now. I need $132, and I'm going to get it. I need it. I need $132. Miriam, would you come up here? I need $132, Miriam. All right. 
All right. Well, let's let's just take a look at it. Let me see what we got. Let's see what we got, because I need $132. All right. There's 20, 40, 50, 60, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. That 5 makes 30. 31, 32. $132. So, so let me count it out to you make sure. There's 20, 40, 50, 60, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 31, 32, $132. See, I, I needed that, and, and I knew I was going to need it at that point of the sermon. And so I walked over, and how did I know that I was going to have $132? Because I gave it to Miriam, knowing I was going to need it at that moment in the sermon, right? And so and I, I need that back. <laughs> See, y'all thought I was going to bless Miriam with $132, but I need that for the second service. So thank you, Miriam. See, the reason is, is because I knew the exact amount I'd need because I had put my notes, $132. I'd counted $132. I put it in the wallet. I handed it to Miriam. It was planned out. She didn't know. We didn't plan before service, but I just went and handed it to her. Because here's the thing. God gives you the love you're going to need, the exact amount at the exact right time, but you cannot give out of what you've not received. Look what John says. The first thing you must realize about love is where it comes from. And he said, Beloved, that's you. Let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. Here's the thing that's why the world is messed up. Here's the thing why marriages get messed up. Here's the thing about why parents and children relationships get messed up. Here's where the brokenhearted situation is with our world and our condition is. We can't get straight that we can't originate love. We can't create love. We can't give out love in which we haven't received. And that is why the believer, when they fully wholeheartedly surrender themselves to the Lord and say, my life is yours, and they start receiving the love of God, that's why it changes them in the eyes of others because all of a sudden they're giving out love they've never been able to give out before. And they're doing it really well. All of a sudden they're a whole person, not a half person trying to give out a whole person. They're a whole person giving out a whole person. That money came from me. And God will not ask you to give love that you never got. There are people who are difficult to love. How many of you have someone in your life that is difficult to love? Let's go ahead. Let's just be real and confrontational today. Even if they're sitting next to you, just raise your hand. How many of you looked at someone this morning while you're brushing your teeth that was difficult to love? So I've got a simple solution for you. I'm going to just start a fight, but I've got a simple solution for you. If you have someone in your life that's difficult to love and you don't know how to do it, ask God how he does it. Ask God how he loves them. You know, we, we, we take for granted, when we talk about prayer, it's because we prayed for something maybe that wasn't in line with God's will, that maybe he wasn't going to answer the way that we thought he was, or maybe we never saw the answer because we moved on and we got impatient. But the truth of the matter is that he does answer. And many times, if we'd put things to real prayer, real specific, and, and in line with God's heart, we'd see results. God, I don't know how to love that person. How do you do it? Show me how to love them. Because he does it with you. We're all hard to love. And he does it with us. So go to the professional. 
Go to the perfectionist. Go to the one who created love to begin with and say, how do you love those people? Maybe you've got prejudice in your heart. Maybe there's something about certain people groups and you see things that you, you classify them all in one group and you don't know how you could really love those people. Those people. Ask God, how do you love them? And you don't know how to be loved. If you don't know how to be loved, you will never know how to give love. You may think you do, but until you learn how to receive God's love in its fullness, you'll never know how to love people in the fullness of God. And you will end up dismantling every relationship in your path because you don't know how to be loved, to be loved by God, to be loved unconditionally. I know this so well because I spent a good portion of my growing up life always needing approval from other people. Always seeking approval. And I, I felt like I needed to get that love and I ignored God. And, and I really didn't know how to love properly because I didn't know how to receive it correctly. And, it, and it's hard to give to others what you never got. And maybe that's the greatest prayer you can pray in your life is God, show me how to be loved. How to be loved by you. Because maybe your dad didn't show you love the way he should. Or maybe your mom didn't show you love the way he should. Or your first husband or first wife didn't show you love the way they should have. But see, they're not the source. So I need you, God, to give me what you're asking me to give the world. I need you, God, to give me the love that you're asking me to give to my spouse because I don't know how to love them correctly. I need you to give me the love that you expect me to give to my children because now I feel alone or now I feel like I'm defeated or whatever it is, but I need you to help me. Give me the love that you intend me to give to others. There's two words that really grabbed a hold of me in this passage. When, when it says there's something interesting about God's love, it says God showed his love by what he sent. And it says that God showed his love, and I think that's verse 9, he showed his love by what he sent. He showed by what he sent. When a woman's carrying a baby, we had the baby shower yesterday in Chelsea, and there's, it was funny because you know they had a game where there's a balloon that people put under their, their shirt. I did not play. And they put a ping pong ball between their knees, and they had to walk over to a, uh, a jar and drop the ball into the jar. And um, so, you know, we played this game. And the thing, there's something that people say when women are starting to, uh, they, they're pregnant and it's starting to become obvious, they say they're starting to show. They're starting to show. A and when you get this kind of love, and I'm talking about the spiritual love, you start to show. When someone in the church is hurting or in need, I love when you all rally around them and when you start to love on them because then it's not anymore that I've beat my brains to a pulp trying to get the Holy Spirit to tell me what to preach to you and it became a sermon and then you left. But when I see you doing that, when you show God's love, I'm like, it's more than just a sermon then. It's the reality of God's love being played out in our lives and that's the fulfillment of what we're doing here as a church is seeking God's love that we may be able to share it with others. We don't just start to sing about our love. We don't just start to, to preach about our love, but we're actually starting to show our love. That the Holy Spirit, forgive me for this, this crazy uh, illustration, but the Holy Spirit literally impregnating us with such a, a mighty move of His Spirit that it begins to show on the outside. 
that we become swollen with God's love, that it just begins to become obvious to everyone around. And that's as a child, as a young kid, that I miss hearing us talk about in church is that you are so different that people want what you've got. Have we forgotten that church that that's what being a believer is about? is being so different from the world, not for the sake of being different, but because of the change Christ has made in you, that people have to know what's different about you, and they want what you've got. It's a driving force for me every day when I get up. i got to be honest, there's days I slip. There's often times I slip. But I'm constantly challenged. I'm not competing with any other believer or any other church. I'm competing with myself. When's the last time that someone saw something so different in me like, I gotta have what that person has. I gotta find out what's different about them. And so it turns into something powerful. It turns into something strong. It turns into something effective. And, and there's, there's something that I learned. I, I spent seven and a half years at Walmart corporate office, but I've worked at many jobs before that, many different companies. But something started becoming very apparent to me when I worked at Walmart that business, in the business world, it's all about leverage. That it's all about leverage. Business about leverage. I, I was given an award for the top negotiator in negotiating insurance claims. And it was all about leverage. Because you were wanting to take, make the person whole because if they really had an injury, you don't want to be hard-hearted. You want to take care of them. But people in this day and time, they think, oh, uh, I spilled hot coffee on myself. It's worth a million dollars. And so you had to also be good to the company and protect them. But it was all about, nego the negotiation was all about leverage. What do you have to show me to prove to me that your claim is worth that much? Well, let me show you what I've got that shows it's not worth that much. Or maybe you're being too modest and it's actually worth more. And surprise, surprise, insurance agent or insurance adjuster is actually telling you I'm going to give you more money than you ask. I mean, there, that was all it was about is leverage. And remember all the political ads in the election. I mean, it, got, it gets so crazy. It's like, oh, well, well, Trump's mom smoked when he was an embryo, so he's not physically fit to be president i don't know if that was there but it's stuff like that it's leverage people trying to get leverage it's the way business operates it's the way politics operates but unfortunately i think a lot of us in the church and believers we've transferred these principles of leverage by which the world operates and projected these motives on god and so we silently believe this we won't admit this to you won't admit this to me or a believer in this sanctuary that you sometimes operate in your your um relationship with god this way but it's like you silently believe that God is looking for leverage against you. That, that just like when you sit across a table in a negotiation, you're trying to find out their weak points, and you're trying to find out what they really want, and there's other motives, and we get suspicious. And God's love's not like that, but we sometimes, secretly, we're operating like that. Like God is holding us over the fire, just waiting for us to mess up so he can drop us. A lot about being a parent, I found, is looking for leverage to use against your kids. I mean, just being honest. Pay attention to what they're into so that you can take it away when they don't behave right, right? Oh, you like Minecraft. Hmm. Okay. Or, hey, honey, what's your really favorite thing? Well, I love Frozen. Hmm. Okay. Well, next time you do that, I'll just cut off every braid in this house. How about that? <laughs> I mean, it it's really is. You know, in parenting, there's a lot of leveraging with your kids. God is a better father than me. God's not looking for leverage. The way he runs the universe is interesting because he has all the leverage, and it's called the law. The law, the, you know, the Ten Commandments. He didn't abolish them when Jesus came. He didn't get rid of them. But here's the problem. The reason Jesus came is none of us could obey those all the time. 
And here's the thing, the rich young ruler, he said, I've actually obeyed him since I was a kid. Probably true, but then Jesus, when he gets to the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the Beatitudes, he's like, no, no, no. See, you guys are following the letter of the law like, oh, I haven't murdered, so I'm okay with God. I haven't done this. Don't say, I'm saying don't even get angry. Why? Because it leads you to murder. Don't even be a person. It's the matters of the heart. It's the principle behind it. It's the, the motivation of the heart that matters. And so, and so many of us, we, we, what we don't realize is that we are trying to, we say that we believe in grace, but we're living a life for Christ like we live under the law. And especially with people with addictions. Right? Dave and I have talked about this. As soon as they mess up, what? They're embarrassed so they don't show up at church. They separate themselves. Satan's perfect plan for them. As soon as you mess up, I'm going to take you away from your support system. From shame. I'm going to make sure that you really go further because then you have no support. Nobody looking out for you. Nobody who has good intentions for you. And that's how the enemy works. And so we live our life trying to meet up to these standards of God like we're negotiating some kind of terms, like we're trying to find out what God really wants from us. And his perfect righteous requirements, we can't live up to them. He had all the leverage in the world that with the law, none of us could be up to God. It was the ball was all in his court. He had us over the barrel. He had all the leverage, but he did something so strange. He walked away from all his leverage when he sent his son to the cross. He did something so powerful, he sent his son. Paul would say in Romans that what the law was powerless to do in, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. And what's he talking about? What the law was powerless to do, Jesus was able to do by the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. The law wasn't enough leverage to change the human heart because it, try as we might, we could never keep the law. And a lot of us try to change our lives and this is how we do it. We think, okay, well I'm going to stop drinking excessively and i'm gonna go to church okay as soon as i can quit going to those places or saying those things or doing then i'll go to church and we make it like somehow going to church and going in this building and being around other people is going to somehow make us right with god because we've now accomplished to quit all these things guess what the enemy knows it's not enough leverage it's going to be too much of a ploy to keep us away we're not going to get to experience grace and find out what it's like to be in a family of God who has grace and believes that you're in a process and they're going to wait with you at night while you're struggling with those addictions or they're going to wait with you at night when you're struggling with those temptations and they're going to pray for you and they're going to guard you in prayer. But what the devil does is says, no, you've got to get all that straightened out, then you've got to come in and then you can be introduced to God. See, he likes to play those games. The law is not enough leverage for lasting change. Not in our hearts and not in the world. And, and all this talk about if liberals would just see what God's law is it, the right way to live. We're trying to convince liberals that the way we live is the right way to live. If you could just obey the laws, you would understand, if you'd obey the laws of God, that your life would be better. And even though we don't want to admit it, that's really in our speech, in our approach, that's what we're doing. We're trying to tell them, live by the law and it'll be okay. But newsflash, we have so many liberals from decades of Christians trying to leverage the world to obey the law, and they can't, just, they can't do it just like we can't. We can't do it, and we're wanting to put expectations on them that they can obey the law. God says, I have a different kind of leverage. The leverage of love. Because love will take away, love will take you further than the law ever could. I'll prove it to you. You know, this is not going to be the most fun illustration, but let's say your child, most of us in here are parents, are about to be your child's on the monkey bars, falls off, busts head wide open. 
when, when we were first coming here to New Song and Pastor Roger came after Pastor Jim, uh, they kept, we, the ladies would go to their house for a Bible study and the men would go to the little office space we had because we were meeting in Gamble School so we had to have another space during the week. And they had a trampoline and it had walls around it. And Pastor Roger, if you listen to this uh, sermon, I, I don't hold it against you, brother. I did then, but I don't now. So uh, they had these things around it and a door on it. And they kept saying, oh, your boys who were like, I don't know, my wife's not here to tell me, but uh, I think they were three, four, two, three, four, somewhere, walking, but shouldn't have been on there. And I kept saying, they're too little for that. And everybody kept saying, oh, you're paranoid. We got our teenage daughters out there with them. The doors closed are fine. Well, guess what? The door got open, and the boys are either loving each other or hating each other and fighting. And that would happen to be one time where the hate came out, and one pushed the other, and the other fell and broke both bones of his arm until his arm just flopped. My wife calls me frantic. When I got to the hospital, I was like, you probably shouldn't let me get near pastor right now because I have some words about, about the things I kept saying that I knew this was not good for my kids, right? I'm not faulting them. It's just one of those parental things. You automatically want to blame, right? When your kids get hurt, somebody better pay. Here's the thing. You have your kid with their head busted open and you get in the car and you're rushing them because you can't wait on the ambulance and you're passing all these what? These speed limit signs, right? And let me ask you something. Are you paying any attention to the numbers under the word speed limit? No. Those numbers under that speed limit sign, which normally have significance to you because you don't want to get a ticket, right at that moment, they don't matter one bit to you. And why is that? Because somebody that you love is in trouble. And in that moment, any parent will break the law for the sake of love. Any human parent will break the law for the sake of love. Am I advocating breaking laws to break laws? No. But we know Jesus broke laws. Well, at least in the Jews' minds. Right? And what will really turn your head to God is not when your heart, uh, when your heart uh, hears His law. Which, which we, was given for our good, by the way. It's like, don't speed so you won't cause an accident and kill somebody, right? Don't put your hand on the stove, it'll burn you. God's law was given to us for our own good, so it's not bad, but there wasn't enough leverage in our actions to keep the law. So what God did is he sent his son, and this is, what we, this is why we get excited in church about Jesus. This is why tears fill our eyes when we think about Jesus in worship. And this is why the gospel is still the good news in the world today because God broke the law for love. See, we don't like to think about that way because you know God's ways are perfect. And he didn't make a mistake making the law, no. It was us that had the mistake, right? But he's saying this system is not going to ensure that my people, that I can take as many people to eternity with me, to, to fellowship with me, my creation. And so I'm going to have to send the ultimate sacrifice, my son, so that I can ensure that I have them here. And I will say it to every sinner, God broke the law for love. And I mean, you were busted up and he swooped you up in his arms and he rushed you and he carried you by his grace. And what God did is send his son in the flesh, a life like ours, where we're sinners, but he led a sinless life to show us that he does love us. All that leverage, and yet God knows the truth, the only real leverage, the only real leverage is love. You sign legal documents to get married, and the legal documents don't keep you, when the love dies, they don't keep you in the same house. 
You know, you fall in love, and you sign legal documents to get married, but when, if the love dies, it won't keep you in the same house. Those legal documents are meaningless. When I first started working out as a teenager, I went in the gym, and I listened to music, and I was pear-shaped, and I looked at all the guys in shape, and I didn't see any way I'd become that, so I just kind of did my thing and made up my own exercises or whatever. And there was this guy that's 64 years old, built guy named Ralph Mascaro, who had competed in the 1951 Mr. USA contest. And he was still in his glory days at 64. And he knew Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he knew all those, and he'd been hired by Walmart corporate office to be the, the, the guy in the gym. And he came over to me one day and said, let me get you on a program, and I believe we can really change, change your body. I said, no thanks. I don't, I don't want to have to do what all those guys are doing. I don't have any interest in that. He said, no, just give, give me a chance. Give me so much time. I can't remember what it was, 30 days, 90 days, whatever it was. I was more longer than that. Give me a chance. One year later, completely changed my body, completely. And I remember being on a youth group trip on a church van wearing a baggy jean jacket because most of my clothes were a little bit looser fitting. And I remember guys and, and girls alike were just playing around making muscles. And I made a muscle, and someone grabbed it and said, you've got a golf ball or a softball under there or something I said you got something under there. I was like no that's my arm I had to take that off show them that was my arm now I'm not telling you that to brag on myself what I'm telling you is I had no desire to make my life about fitness until that moment I all of a sudden loved exercise because as a teenage boy oh, this is what the girls like I'm all about it now I love exercise now I am like intent on learning everything there is about nutrition everything about exercise my parents are grinning because they know I remember them going to somebody's house being invited for lunch from the church and I took Tupperware bowls with my own food because my food had to be prepared perfectly yeah I did that to them now as a pastor I'm thinking oh I'd be horrified I'd be horrified of my kids I, 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 they had a lot of grace because I would just said well you can sit and eat in the car then come in when you're done See, the health benefits were not enough leverage. Ralph told me how it would make me healthier, make me stronger. I didn't really care about that. I didn't love that. I didn't really get into it. Once I found what, really, what I really loved was attention and affirmation from other people, once that triggered, then I wanted to know everything there was about exercise and fitness and bodybuilding. I didn't want to learn it when I didn't love it. I said I didn't want to learn it when I didn't love it. And I didn't want to learn it until I loved it. And if we as a church are going to change the world, it's not going to be by getting them to learn about a God that they don't love. Do you understand me? You're not going to win people for Christ by getting them to learn about a God they don't love. They're going to need to see God's love in you before they want to learn about that God. And they can't love a God that they don't see. And that's why John said, this is how God showed his love. He sent, he sent, he sent. And, and the disciples who were near the cross, the only one who stayed near, he wasn't the loudest, but he was the most loved. Peter was the loudest. Peter was loud, but John was loved. And I've noticed at sporting events, I've not gone to a whole lot because I'm not a big sports fan, but I remember going to uh, a Royals, or no, not Royals, a Naturals game recently. And it was a game where we were losing most of the time. And there's people shouting and carrying on. And some of them, they didn't know the players' names. They didn't know the coaches' names. Like, come on, get with it, you know, and all this. And the loud ones. But you know what I noticed towards the end of the game? The bleachers had thinned out and it got really quiet. There wasn't as many loud people there. They left early. The loud people leave early. 
and they rallied and ended up winning. Andrew, remember where you're there? They ended up winning. And, and sometimes the loud ones are the ones to leave first. The ones that say out loud on Facebook and everywhere, I love my church. Oh, I love my God. I love my church. But I can find out how much you love your church by how long you stayed when the going gets tough. Let me say something that you rarely hear me say, and I'm going to step out on a limb. Even though I don't know who gives what intentionally, I know what comes in in offerings, but I guarantee you that someone can know how much you love your church by how much you give accordance to your, in your tithe and your offering accordance to your income. And the why, why do I say that? Because it's not all about money to me. Why is that a God principle? You've never loved anything you haven't supported. You love your kids, you support them. Anything you love, you support. And the things you love the most, you support with your whole heart as much as you can and to your full extent. It's a principle Jennifer and I have learned. We will not be as engaged in what God has going on in the body of Christ of believers that we're in as long as we hold back in some area of our love. And giving is one of them. We hold back in giving, everything else starts to go, all of a sudden we don't see the point of coming to church. All of a sudden we're playing around on our phone during the service, you know, looking at Facebook instead of paying attention to what God had brought in the Word today. All of a sudden we're doing everything we can to avoid the inevitable that we're dodging God's love. You've never, ever loved something you didn't support. And so John stood at the foot of the cross, and we don't have any record of what he said. He was there, and he was loved. He stood with the family, and Jesus told him something, something kind of crazy. To the disciple whom he loved, he said, Woman, here is your son. You know, it's theologically problematic and no one can really figure it out because Jesus had brothers. So, so why is John having to take care of Mary? Why is Jesus saying this? Uh, uh, Mother, here is your son. Nobody knows. There's a lot of theories out there. But the, there is something interesting about what he was doing. In fact, when I read this and read some commentaries, I, thought, I always thought Jesus was saying, here's your son. Like, here I am. You know, I'm your son. You know, look at what's happened to me. But, but that, I didn't realize he was addressing Mary and John. And it relates to the cross, of which, uh, of course, is the ultimate symbol of God's love. We can all agree that the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's love, right? I'm getting ready to close, but I want you to stay with me for a minute. The cross is the ultimate symbol of God's love. Isn't that correct? Well, here's what I always pictured, is Jesus carrying this cross down the road, right? And, and they're beating him, and he's falling. The passion of the Christ. You know, we see these, we see these images, the big, heavy cross. In actuality, historically, they didn't carry the whole cross, Nobody could. They'd never make it up there. It was a very efficient way for the Romans to not have to do work, but to make them, you know, carry their own death. But they carried the cross beam. This part was already up there staged, ready to be put in place. The, vertic or the, the vertical part was already up the hill. What was being carried was the cross beam. And what's really interesting about this, I, I, want, us to, I want us to just focus on that for a minute. He's already showed us through the cross that he loves us. We all agreed on that. So if he doesn't give me the job that I wanted, I know he still loves me because he showed me on the cross. If he doesn't give me the spouse that I wanted, then I know he still loves me because he showed me on the cross. If he doesn't give me money, if he doesn't give me healing, if he doesn't heal that relative, if whatever he doesn't do, he still showed his love on the cross. We know that he loves us. And that love comes down from God. It flows down. And I believe it still flows down to the vilest of hearts, the most broken of hearts, the worst situation because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
And so Jesus is carrying this cross, and I believe what he's saying, what he's doing is, when he gets to the point, he, he, says, um, he, says, to the peop- he says to them, uh, he says, Mary, here is your son. I believe what Jesus is saying is, I've already taken care of the, vert- the, the vertical relationship. Now it's up to y'all to take care of the horizontal one. What I brought up here for you is that you may now carry on what I was doing with the vertical. That the love of God has flown down, but now it's up to you to carry it out across. Because Jesus is known to be said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. He, he says to his beloved, take up your cross and follow me. And see, many people are trying to live this life with just a knowledge of God, with just some connection to God through relatives or a church or something, but, but they have this connection vicariously through something else, but they don't ever really receive the love. And because of that, relationships get broken and they don't know how to love others. So what Jesus is doing on the cross is saying, I'm connecting the dots for you. The vertical is taken care of. You, have, you no longer have to go to the, and wait for somebody going to the holy holies to reach God for you. You don't have to have somebody bring you to God. You come to God on your own. He's already beckoned to you. He's already provided the love flowing down. Now what happens is when you accept that love, he expects you to be able to give that love out. And he's the source. Broken relationships, broken world. People who are willing to, to just go into a place and shoot people. Too long has the church remained silent on this. We've wanted people to obey the law. You need to act like a Christian and this world would be better. No, we need to be showing the love of God. We need to be showing the love of God to give out what we've received. That will change the world. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day and your word. I thank you for, God, the fact that you didn't leave us alone. That, Lord, you sent the Holy Spirit. You sent your Holy Spirit for him to, to minister to us, to comfort us, to empower us. And that, Lord, while we may try to live this life our own and figure out relationships our own, that, God, today we've seen from your word, as John stood there, that the beloved, that you're saying, Lord, Lord, you're saying to us that you want us to be your love, your beloved, that we may be loved and give out love. That God, it's, it's, it works together. That you can't separate that. That without being loved, you can't give out love and the cross is ineffective. Without giving out love and being loved, the cross is ineffective. You, you can't do one without the other because even your word says that if you love God and hate your neighbor, it's, it's, not, it's not the same. You cannot love God and hate your neighbor. That's not the work that was done on the cross. You can't love your neighbor and, and cut off the love that God has for you and not receive it. You can think what you're showing is love. You can think that the emotions and the things are showing is love, but, but when the times get tough or when they get difficult to love, when they get uh, cantankerous, when they get um, aggravating, when they get mean or when they get nasty or when they've hurt us, we lash out and we find out that we didn't have the love that God poured in us because we never let Him pour in. We're trying to give out of that which we don't have and it doesn't work. 
So I pray right now with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning, you say to me, this is a very personal but not a private decision. It's a very personal but not private decision to follow Christ. He never meant it to be private, only personal. But if you're here and you say, I need the love of God in my life. I want to follow Him. I want Him to be Lord of my life. I want to know without shadow of a doubt that if I were to pass from this earth today, this moment, that I would be in eternity with Him. If that's you and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. other time that that is more precious than when the Holy Spirit has spoken to you through His Word and He's given you an opportunity to to know without a shadow of a doubt to know that you know that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life that you will spend eternity with with Jesus no, no matter what may come that only you can take yourself out of that love of God but no one, the Bible says, can snatch you from the hand of God not even the devil one more time. If there's anyone who wants to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just quickly slip your hand up and down and I want to pray for you. Alright, for all believers, if you are here this morning and you say, I, I think I've had this out of whack. I think I've been trying to lead people to follow the law. I think I've been trying to get them to, to love a God, that to learn about a God that they don't love. And I want to be so full of God's love that, that others see it. That, that it shows. That, that I can't walk through a place just like a woman who is ready to give birth that can't walk through and everybody identifies that woman is getting ready to give birth that you walk through and the love of God is so full in your life they're like they're about to birth something I don't know what it is but there's something there's a joy there's something definitely different about them and I want that that's here you I just want you to slip your hand up and down so I can pray for you Lord, we thank you for the commitments made today. God, we thank you that you have spoken to our hearts and pray that you take everyone home safely or to the restaurants or wherever they're going. God, that this week, this message would bury in their hearts, God, that your word would begin to change and mold their lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great week. Remember Wednesday night, you're able to come 6.30. We'll go 6.30 around 8. We have a little more uh, casual where you can ask questions and a little more Bible study environment. So love you all. Have a great Sunday.